0: We have been talking about the incredible moment that we're in right now. We are discovering what we value. And in this series, we're going to be talking about the power of cherishing. Cherishing in our marriages, in our families, in our beliefs, and in our community. And we're looking at how cherishing goes beyond just acquisition, it goes beyond getting. But it is the power of fulfillment to to be able to hold and to maintain and to nurture and to grow in something even deeper in our lives. So the definition that we're using for cherishing is that cherishing is the determination of the heart to discover, acquire, secure, nurture, and protect something of value. You know, when I think about cherishing things in my own life, a lot of things come to mind. Um, I think about my wife, I think about my kids, Um, I think about my grandkids, my friends, my health. Um, I think about my money, my resources. So last week, we talked about seeking the kingdom of God first and kind of figuring out what our first cherishing should be. But what comes next? So I looked at my list, and I noticed that there was something missing on my list of the things that I would cherish. Um, And the thing that was missing was meat. And I don't mean just me. What wasn't on my list was my soul. Now, I know there's a lot of philosophical discussion about about the soul. Is it just the brain, or is there something else going on inside of our heads also? And the only reason why it's a conversation is because everybody on both sides of the conversation agrees that the whole seems to be greater than the sum of the parts, that the brain doesn't seem to be enough to produce the kind of results of awareness that we have. So I don't want you to be afraid of this idea of soul. Um, but the question is, do I cherish my soul? Do I, do I cherish me? And if you're intellectually uh, objecting to the idea of soul because it makes you commit to maybe a religious paradigm too much, let me ask you to consider using the word mind. Um, and maybe you're somebody who's a little bit more touchy feely and you could interchange the word soul and mind for, um, heart. They all seem to be used interchangeably in scripture and in human literature. But what I noticed is that my soul seems to be the important interface between me and God and me and the world around me. I mean, it's, it, it seems to be a real thing and, um, Soul seems to be my awareness of the world, and it 's not just my sensory perception of the world. I was thinking about it the other day as I was looking at some comparative religions to Christianity and some of the philosophical views about life and the meaning of life. I, I saw it repetitively this idea trickling down that life is suffering uh, that life is hard, that that was the irreducible uh, com- you know complexity of of what life was about is that In the end, life is suffering. But then I noticed as I was thinking about it and having gone through my own physical kind of pain and having dealt with some issues of depression because of my physical pain, I remembered as I was walking through it that as I was thinking about suffering and as I was experiencing personal suffering, that it didn't just come down to suffering, like, oh, okay, I'm suffering. And and not only that, like that that satiated the, the search of my heart. But the more I looked, it was like I was trying to give meaning to my suffering. And it made me realize that there was a part of me that was observing suffering in my life and wanted to give some meaning to it. It it made me realize that life is not reduced just to suffering, but there's this whole reduction down to meaning, whether it's a good event or a bad event. And it just made me realize that there's a part of me, there's a soulish part of me that even observes the difficult times that I go through. So though we may not have all the answers about this thing called soul, it is the human experience we're all having and um, we all know we're having it. I mean, Descartes said something like, I think therefore I am, to try to explain this self-awareness. But um, you guys know that I'm a, oh, I don't know, impulsive hobbyist. Whenever I get stonewalled in one hobby, I seem to go to another hobby. And then because of my back injury, it forced me out of the sports that I like doing. And I ended up into a lot of other things. And one of the things I like is drones. That's a really cool hobby to be involved with. But I got into photography. Um, so I, I got a new camera. And it's a great camera for beginners. But here's the thing. I don't know a lot about the usage of this camera. I mean, it's like a week and a half old and, um, but one of the things that I discovered is that the lens and, and how it's used pretty much determines everything. Um, there's these elements of aperture and shutter speed and this thing called ISO. And, and I know that these three are interrelated with each other. And so I've been watching all kinds of videos on what is aperture, what is shutter speed supposed to be and what is ISO and how the interplay of them. And and I've listened to a lot of different photographers explain it to me, but I have learned one thing that my soul seems to be the lens of my understanding of the world around me. Um, and, And you may be new to this whole soul thing like I'm new to the camera thing, but it doesn't mean that you have to wait to figure out how to take some good photos, even though you don't understand all those components. But know this, that the operation of your soul, your mind, your heart, It's paramount and it's all important when it comes to how you view life, how you cherish other things and how that cherishing process works. So when I began making that list about what is important to me, what is after my relationship with Christ and his kingdom, I I began to realize my soul is really important and it needs to be something that is cherished, something that is protected, something that's nourished, something. Um, that is uh, just secured with truth and wisdom and understanding. So it will be out of uh, the cherishing of the soul made alive in Christ that we'll begin to bring focus to life around us. I want you to hear how Jesus goes all, all photography on us. It's a verse that you probably heard before, but I, I want you to listen to the lens of the photographer and I want you to hear words and ideas that kind of represent aperture and shutter speed and ISO and clarity and focus and and things like that. He says, "Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal it's kind of like where you're placing the object of your focus for where your treasure is there your heart will be also he goes on to say the eye is the lamp of the body so if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light in you is darkness How great is the darkness? Now we kind of see this idea of the soulish lens that he's talking about. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I mean, we've got focus written all over that. He's, he's not saying that you got to hate money and, you, and um, you can only love God and that you can't have money in your life. He's just talking about when you're going to get a good snapshot of life, your soul has to be focused on something. Um, so I bet a photographer could listen to that first and just see how the camera, the lens, and then the subject would all be used to produce an incredible picture. And maybe when you hear all this, you hear from the scripture things like rules and right and wrong and morals and ethics and commandments and uh, precepts. Your your head begins to spin, just like my head spins when somebody tries to explain to me ISO and shutter speed. But we need to remember, it's not about controlling the camera. It's about getting great photos. We're not, when we look at our relationship with God and we look at Christ and we look at the idea of maintaining our soul, we look at the principles of God, truth and ethics, and it's, it's not about ethics for ethics' sake. It's not morality for morality's sake. It's all about the adjustment of the lens and the, and the direction of our souls for what purpose? For the purpose of getting a, a good snapshot of about what life is all about. It's about cherishing and using your lens the right way. So after Christ, your soul and your heart, your, your mind is your most precious commodity. And I know you're, you're saying, oh, no, no, it's that it's cute little grandbaby. It's, no, it's my beautiful wife. It, no, it's, it's my wonderful children. Um, or it's that church that I go to. That's, right after Christ, that's the most important thing. But it, but it really isn't because... In order to view those things correctly, you have to see them through your soul. Your soul is the lens through which you're able to bring a good picture into the life of your children and all the other things that you value. That's why the writer of Proverbs wrote this. Giving instruction to his son, he said, "'My son, give attention to my words. "'Incline your ear to my sayings. "'Do not let them depart from your sight. "'Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. And here's the important part. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. You know, so those other things are are worthy of cherishing, But our soul is the the thing that we see all those other things through. We see our relationships. We see money in the right way. We see relationships in the right way. He said, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straightly in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Wow, I mean, he's talking about how important it is to cherish your soul. He says, watch over your heart with all diligence. From it, your your marriage flows and the quality of your marriage flows. From your soul, um, your parenting will, f- will follow. From your soul, your use of your wealth will follow. From your soul, your cherishing of the people around you will flow. So we, he's really just, again, photographer language. He's like the lens is really going to determine the quality of how you picture life. And so right after Christ in your life, cherishing your soul and watching over it and feeding it right and nourishing it and protecting it is of paramount uh, importance. Now, I, I know a lot of you come from experience like I have that Religion begins to reduce soul activity to whether or not you watch R-rated movies or drink too much alcohol. Now, again, that's, that's what people think, and that's why I think a lot of people don't like the word soul, and they would prefer mind. Um, but religion has wrongly reduced it to those things. It, it reduces it to just right and wrong, and that's what the soul is about, or the activity of the soul is reduced to whether or not you go to heaven or who's going to hell, um, it's, it's so much more than that. It's about guarding your soul. It's, it's about determining the quality of the flow of life that's going to come out of it. And um, Jesus summed it this way. He said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? It's kind of like it all just funnels down to the soul of who we are as people that that all of life and and the accomplishments of life are all going to be determined by the quality of the lens, determined by the quality of our souls, how we've watched over our hearts, and then the result of it, all the life that seems to flow out of it. So, regardless of your view on what constitutes the reality of hell, um, whether you're you're You know, we talk about fire and brimstone and and all the things that we hear. And regardless of your view, I think we all can agree that the concept of hell is that of torment. And some of us, because we don't guard our hearts now, our lives are given up to torment. We use that phrase, my life is a living hell. So life is not about what's cooking on the barbecue, um, it's about what's cooking inside of your soul. It's, a, it's bigger than just the place that you go to when you die or uh, you know, getting focused on whether there's a burning pit. Or, um, it's, it's about this idea of what's going on inside of your soul and that we have the ability to choose whether we get to experience heaven in the midst of our souls or we get to experience the torment of, of hell in, in our souls. And and when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray thy kingdom come, O God, on earth as it is in heaven. And I know that a lot of us, when we we listen to that, when we prayed that prayer, when we think about it coming on earth, we think about the dirt of the earth, or, or maybe some of us are a little bit more developed, we think about it as a governmental structure in the earth. When in reality, heaven first comes to earth through the soul that's where heaven makes its first entrance. It, it comes into us, it comes into our souls. And that's why Jesus said this to the people of his day. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, there it is over there. Um, For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Is that when heaven comes into your life, it comes into your soul. That's why it's such a precious thing. We can experience it now. And as it comes into your mind, it comes into the world. But you need to realize, as it comes into your mind, it comes into the world, and that's whether it's heaven or hell. That hell will come into the world, it will first come through our soul. Whether heaven comes into our our minds, it will come in through our soul. So you may ask yourself, or be asking me, well, don't you believe in a future heaven and a future hell up real places. My point is your soul is now. I mean, your soul is right now. We are in a soul moment. Hell is now and heaven is now. And how I manage my soul determines the the reality of things in my life. So heaven and hell in the future are just spiritual extensions of what I embrace in my soul here on earth. You know, so that's why it's so important. So if I embrace the hellishness of life going on around me, well, then that's what I bring into me. And then into the future, that's what I bring with me. But if I allow my soul to be cherished and I embrace heaven, I embrace the principles of God and I embrace the things of God into my life now, then I begin to experience heaven first within me. And then that becomes the issue of life that goes to my wife. That's the, that's the issue of life I bring to my children. You know, have you ever said as a parent, maybe you haven't, but I have, it's like when you find out they've done something wrong, well, there's, uh, there's gonna be hell to pay when I get home. You know, you've decided that you are going to bring hell and, and make it pay when you get home. What an interesting concept, but you do have that power, is that when we determine what's going to influence our souls, we determine whether heaven comes to earth or whether hell begins to spread even more in the world around us. This is why the Apostle Paul speaks to us with such an aggressive voice, but I want you to hear that it's not the voice of of being judgmental, it's not the voice of being religious, uh, it's not the voice of being holier than now. It's the voice of cherishing. He's trying to exhort believers to cherish their souls because he realizes the power of the soul, how the soul can either stir up hell or it can bring down heaven because he realizes that both will stop first in who I am as a person. Here's what he said. He said, let no one deceive you with empty words, For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of the disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And it doesn't say expose people. It says expose these, these deeds these, so that you, we're aware of what they are so that we can, we can um, fill our lives with the things that are good. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light for everything that becomes visible is light. Wow, that verse out of Ephesians 5 just sounds like something out of my Sony uh, camera manual, the idea of light and contrast and, and things to do and things not to do. Remember it's, it's not about controlling the camera for controlling the camera's sake. It's all about ending up with an incredible picture about what life is. So we do not reject things in order to earn the love of God. Paul's not talking about rejecting things to prove that we're right. He doesn't talk about exposing things so that so that we can be better than other people. We reject and we choose things to cherish God's love, to cherish our souls, to cherish his truth in our souls so that we can see the springs of life begin to flow into the other things that we cherish. You know, I always hear others boast of the uh, intellectual superiority of having an open mind, but having an open mind to what? You know, I mean, if you leave the lens on the and the shutter on a camera open long enough, eventually confusion will overtake the image. Um, what is it supposed to be open to, and why is that considered a virtue? Personally, I have closed my mind to the negative influences that come against the things that I cherish. Um, Remember that a ditch and a well are both open at the top, but both don't bring forth drinkable water. There's no merit in just letting your mind be open to any idea or any thought that comes through, but rather we're really called to this idea of of cherishing our souls. There was an incredible price paid paid for your soul through the blood, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now God says, cherish the gift that I've given you, that my son died and rose again so that you could have new life, a resurrection, a renewal, a newness of soul. And so God says, cherish your soul. Don't lose it on all the other things of life. And those other things of life control their influence into your life, not because your ability to control them earns you heaven or makes you out to be better people. But it preserves the cherishing, it focuses the lens, it controls the shutter. It has the right amount of light that comes in to produce the right kind of picture for life. So when was the last time you thought about cherishing your soul? Even as Christians, we're all about saving the lost. We're all about communicating truth to people that are in error. But what about our own souls? What about cherishing them? We all know that we're called to love our spouse and to love our children, to love our neighbor as our um, as ourself. But have we forgotten that part about loving ourselves? Allowing ourselves to grow in the cherishing of God's love for us and protecting it. It's not about, do you watch this show or do you watch this R-rated movie? But the question is, is, are those influences in some way affecting my picture of the world that God wants me to experience? Are those sources, as they come into my life, as they enter into the lens of my life, do they begin to affect the quality of life that flows out to those around me? Do those influences extend the power of hell and confusion into my life? Or do they bring heaven first to me so that heaven can ex- be experienced then on the earth of relationships that I have around me? You know, truly loving ourselves begins with our souls fully loving God and loving what he loves. I mean, that is, that is the first part of, you know, we think, well, I, I'm here, Paul, because I wanna know how to save my marriage. I understand I'm here, Paul, because I'm afraid of the virus. I'm here because I'm concerned about what's going to happen to America. I'm here about, well, I'm here to tell you those, those are all good concerns, but you will not be able to look at them rightly. You will not get a right snapshot. You will not have the right flow of life through you until you first cherish God in your life. And once that cherishing of your own soul through the love of God takes place, then you'll be able to begin to adjust the lens. And then you'll be able to look at the things that cause you anxiety the right way. You'll be able to focus in on your children, your spouse. You'll be able to speak the right words at the right time. You'll be able to do the right things. You'll be able to see with clarity because you've nourished your soul because you've walked in the way that you have guarded your heart diligently so that what comes out of them is the very life issues that flow into the world around us. I have discovered in my own personal walk with God, and and that includes successes and failures, uh, divorce and marriage, um, drug use and all kinds of uh, things, some success, uh, some good things in my life. I, I have discovered that life flows best from the cherished soul. That when we know what it's like to be cherished by God and through that relationship of, with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and we know about what it is to be raised and renewed and refreshed by the love of God through, through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus that life begins to flow best. So let me encourage you as we go into this last moment with God, as, whether that's in uh, listening to the song of worship or maybe taking a moment to step aside and get alone with God, whether it's through communion, celebrating it with your friend or just be, uh, with your friend or or just between you and the Lord. Let this be a time where we turn towards God with our hearts and we get honest and it's like, Lord, you know, I have been, I have dropped the guard on my heart. I've allowed everyone and everything to speak into it. Lord, my heart has become not a wellspring of life, but a storm drainage where the life, where the very waters of my life have have been polluted. Let this be a time where you invite God to His Spirit to cause a, a spring of living water to flow out of your innermost being, as Jesus taught us. And begin to cherish that and protect it. Not only because things are right and things can be wrong, but so that the life that flows out of us is good, so that we can experience heaven on earth now for our souls are now. Father, as we enter this moment with you, Lord God, we push everything aside, and we just ask that through the Spirit of God, that the inner person who we are, our soul, our mind, our heart, whatever it's called, God, that it would be enlightened by your Spirit, by your words, that we may see how precious we are to you, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And that, God, that we will begin to cherish ourselves the way that you have cherished us, so that out of that awareness, that we can cherish those around us.